reason these disturbances, they followed you to a new home, is because it's not the house that's haunted. It's your son. So, 1,100 men went in the war. 360 men come out of the sharks, took the rest June the 29th, 1945. Anyway, we delivered the bomb. Be right back! I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Oh, My name is Robert Hawkins. Approximately seven hours ago, uh, something attacked the city. Um, if you found this, if you're watching this, then you know more about it than I do. California, stay away from me. Stay away from me, I'm, I'm, I'm coming here. John Doe has the upper hand. And on that day, Ahab will go to his grave, but he'll rise again within the hour. He will rise and beckon that all, all save one, shall follow. They're all gonna laugh at you! They're all gonna laugh at you! They're all gonna laugh at you! Hello. Welcome once again to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. I am one of your co-hosts, Philip, from the state of New Hampshire in the U.S. of A., and with me in the state of Michigan. This is Eric. Eric, how are you, sir? I am well. Excellent. And in the Commonwealth of Virginia? Hey, this is Barrett. Barrett, how are you? I'm good. Excellent. Uh, we do have a, a co-host who may be joining us shortly, but we're not sure yet. Uh, his name is Mike from the state of New York. Uh, but for folks who are new to the podcast, who we are, we are the Dark Discussions News Network, which is www.darkdiscussions.com. It's a place where you can find numerous things, including multiple podcasts, including this one. Uh, this podcast is a weekly podcast that about genre films, so horror, sci-fi, fantasy, thrillers, techno thrillers, mysteries, grindhouse, art, night movies, foreign films, and drama, and the like. Basically, we talk intelligently about a genre that deserves intelligence. For folks who are curious, today is September 29th, 2022, that we're recording this episode. Uh, for folks who are curious, such as one of our listeners named Pam, who, it's her birthday today, uh, September 29th, 2022, so happy birthday to Pam. Um, for folks who want to email us, they can email us at darkdiscussions at AOL.com, or they can email us through www.darkdiscussions.com and the contact us menu choice on any page of the website, and a box will open up where you will be able to fill out an email that way as well. So either way that you email us, uh, just make sure to notify that it's for this podcast here, the Dark Discussions Podcast. Uh, Eric, what else can people find on www.darkdiscussions.com? Well, they can find a link to our Patreon account. Patreon is a service that allows you to financially contribute to your online artists like podcasters. That's us. Uh, producing the show is not free. We have to pay bills for things like the website hosting uh, and the auto file hosting and uh, rentals and 
uh, computer equipment and microphones and so on and so forth. So uh, if you'd like to help offset the cost of producing this show, that's how you can do it. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash dark discussions. Uh, and for every $5 a month that you care to donate, you'll have the opportunity to submit a topic for us to possibly do a show about. Um, we take all these submissions from our patrons and we draw one at random on a quarterly basis. Uh, any and all contributions are greatly appreciated so uh you can go to patreon.com slash dark discussions or follow the patreon badge on any page of dark discussions.com uh that's right that's right and uh any uh amount of uh donation greatly appreciated so we thank everybody for their donations uh next week's episode we will be picking another patreon pick uh as so uh look out for that uh today's episode is already uh, numbered because it's uh, going to be the 550th episode of the podcast where we had a poll on, on uh, Dark Discussions Podcast Facebook group. What there the you go, there that? you go. Uh, <laughs> where basically that, that was uh, one of those uh, uh, party things that you do on New Year's. 550. Holy crap, scared the crap out of me. <laughs> yeah. But uh, uh, basically, uh, we had a poll up on Dark Discussions Park's Facebook group, which is where you can uh, go to join and follow us. And uh, each of us, uh, myself, Eric, Barrett, and Mike, picked three films each uh, for a total of 12 films for uh, listeners or members of the group, Dark Discussions Podcast, to uh, give their on what film we should review because every 50th episode we usually review a I guess a tentpole film uh, because generally we review newer films and indie films and things of that nature and stay away from uh, the big name films just for the fact that uh, everybody has done episodes on those films in the past um, so if we uh, look at uh, the films that were part of the poll, and uh, the films were in, I believe, alphabetical order. I may be wrong. Yeah, so I'm a little wrong. But either way, here's the 12. Uh, Alligator from 1980, which actually just came out uh, within the year on a brand new uh, Blu-ray. Um, and then... 4K, yeah, that's even better. Uh, Beyond the Valley of the Dolls from 1970, the Russ Mayer film. Curse of the Demon, the 1957 black and white film starring Dana Andrews, based off a story by Emma Adams. Faster Pussycat Kill Kill from 1965, the black and white film by Russ Mayer. Friday the 13th, the original, the classic. Uh, the Frighteners from 1996. Uh, the Stephen King Adapted movie by David Cronenberg, The Dead Zone from 1983, starring Christopher Walken and uh, Martin Sheen, as well as someone that is going to be in our film tonight that we're going to talk about. Uh, Heavy Metal, the 1981 animated film. Invasion of the Body Snatches, 1980, uh, actually 1978 remake of the original 1956 film. The Fly, the 1986 Cronenberg remake, starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. The 1981 film Scanners. And then the 1990 film Jacob's Ladder. 
And uh, for a while there, there was a there was a close race between two films with the curse of the demon uh, falling behind uh, at the very last minute or so uh, within the past couple of days to uh, the film that we are going to talk about tonight. And what is that film that we're going to talk about tonight? Tonight, we're going to be talking about the 1978 version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. People are being duplicated. How do you know my name? I didn't tell you my name. I can't find anything in here that looks like a body. My side's nosebleed. It looks right at me. You're looking at it as if it was human. It was not human. Now, the classic fear begins to grow. <laughs> We're being cornered. In a modern masterpiece of science fiction. They're barricading the street. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Starring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adams, Leonard Nimoy. Invasion of the Body Snatchers. From deep space, the seed is planted. Terror grows. version of the invasion of the body snatches uh, was directed by Philip Kaufman uh, screenplay by W.D. Richter based off the Jack Finney novel the body snatches which also was a film from 1956 uh, by um, uh, the great Don Segal um, this film here has a pretty strong cast uh, it includes Donald Sutherland Jeff Goldblum, Brooke Adams, Leonard Nimoy, Veronica Cartwright, Art Hindell, and cameos by Kevin McCarthy and Don Segal from the original uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1956. Um, so, uh, I guess we can go around and discuss how we heard about this film and what we thought about it. One further thing is that there is a new uh, restored, nice uh, Screen Factory version of this film uh, that people can uh, find if they do like their films on uh, disc nice. rather than VOD. I have that copy. Indeed. So, I do too. 
So, uh, what's oh, and this film was one of Mike's. So, Mike of New York, uh, he chose this film, and uh, uh, this 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 whole he he kind of locked out because Curse of the Demon was his pick too. So his films kind of went to the top. <laughs> but, but he wanted anyway, to fly. It's been years since his pick won, so it's 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 fair. <laughs> Well, and he wanted the fly, so yeah, he did, he did. But but this this one uh, has always been one that he, he throws out as a, as a possible episode. So uh, let's get into how we heard about this film and what we thought about it. So let's start with you, Eric. Um, this film, this is this is kind of interesting. Um, I swear I've seen this movie before, but when I went to log it on Letterboxd, I found that I had not logged it before. Um, so either, you know, when I first signed up for Letterboxd, there was a day where I sat down and just like rated as many movies as I could remember seeing. Um, and maybe I just forgot about this one. Um, or after watching it last night, I'm thinking that maybe I've just seen that ending shot so many times in like specials about movies that I thought I'd seen it and I hadn't seen it. Oh wow! Because <laughs> there were portions of this movie that I did not remember, um, so this this might have been a first time watch for me. Although it had been spoiled heavily for me, I, I mean, it's not like I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, so I mean, this movie's been around since I was a kid, so uh, it, it's it's what you call a classic. Um, really strong cast. Uh, and as Phil noted earlier, it's kind of funny. There's some crossover. Uh, Brooke Adams is in this movie, and she's also in The Dead Zone, which was one of my picks. And then Jeff Goldblum's in this movie. He's always also in The Fly, which was one of Mike's other picks. Um, so we had some crossover going on with actors here. Um, this movie holds up pretty well. Um, I was I was really surprised um, in that. Uh, the the effects in this movie are actually quite good, um, even in 2022. Uh, there's one scene in particular that really creeped me out. I'll, I'll know later uh, once we get into the plot. Um, I also noted while I was watching this that this actually... Uh, <laughs> one of my favorite comedies ever is a movie called Bowfinger, which not a whole lot of people know about because it was... It, well, first of all, it's an awful title. Um, it's a comedy starring Eddie Murphy and Steve Martin. And you think everybody would know about a comedy with those two in it, but not everybody knows about it. Um, in that movie, Steve Martin is, uh, making a movie, but, and he wants, uh, Eddie Murphy plays a movie star named, uh, Kit Ramsey, who's the big Hollywood action star, uh, and doesn't want to be in the movie. And Steve Martin just decides that, He's going to make it anyway and um, starts having his actors run up to Eddie Murphy and recite their dialogue from the movie and just film his reaction to it. Um, what they don't know is that he's got some emotional stability issues and uh, having people run up to him, talk about aliens really isn't helping anything. Uh, so It's a really funny movie that I recommend, but the point of bringing it up is that the the fake movie that they're making in Bowfinger is called Chubby Rain. <laughs> it's about aliens that come down from space in the rain. And 
like as soon as I saw the very first thing you see in an invasion of the body snatchers from 1978 is uh, the fact that the the alien spores are coming down in the rain. And I was like, holy shit, Bofing was making a reference to this movie and I didn't even realize it. That's awesome. Uh, so I, I, while watching this movie for the episode, I found a connection to one of my other favorite movies. So that was fun for me. Um, so yeah, I think this is a very good movie. Definitely worth your time if you haven't seen it for some reason and then probably worth a rewatch even if you have seen it before. Um, so I, I really enjoyed watching it. Excellent. Very good. Uh, speaking of Bowfinger, I actually saw that at theaters. And nice. it was a part of my yeah, a trivia question last night, which is, which of these four f- films was not written by Steve Martin? And uh, Bowfinger was not the answer because he wrote that film. <laughs> uh, yes. That was I'm great glad film. you know of it and have seen it because, like, most people I mentioned that movie to are like, what? Yeah, I, I got to see it at theaters, so that was awesome. Nice. Um, for me, yes, yes, nice. Uh, for me, this film here, Invasion of the Body Snatch, is 1978. Uh, I actually saw this before the original 1956 film. Uh, I hadn't seen the 1956 film until a few years ago. Uh, this film was a film that played over and over on HBO back in the day, uh, in the early 80s, uh, 1980, 1981, and all that. And it was also the movie of the week on regular television as well, where they just cut out the any nudity or profanities or whatnot. And um, so I saw it with a kid. It was one of the handful of R-rated films my parents allowed me to see because I was into science fiction and horror and stuff like that. And, and this film they felt uh, didn't have enough to be, um, I guess, banned from, from me watching it because I didn't hear R-rated films back in those days. Um, yeah, this, this film here is uh, a curiosity because it's an incredible film. It's unbelievable. I think it's better than the original. And yet for uh, science fiction and horror films, it's, it's always um, – forgotten in a sense that when you know you hear the, the best horror films of the 70s and 80s and 90s uh this film is always lower listed probably because it it's a oddity in the sense that it, it isn't a slasher film and it's also a remake so i, I don't know it's, it's just strange but but it's an absolutely phenomenal film uh the special effects are unbelievable uh the story is really scary. The cast is incredible. The set pieces that they have, uh, for, and uh, I'll just throw out the what where they took place. There's a there's a mud spar, and there's a, a garden in someone's backyard, and then there's just um, people falling another person throughout malls and business parks and office buildings. And, and it really, really is a scary film. Um, it's probably uh, one of the few awesome films that many people that listen to this podcast may have missed and have not seen because a lot of people who listen to this podcast probably have seen Jason and Freddie and Michael Myers and Leatherface and Chucky and all those stuff. But, 
they may have not seen this one and and this will be a gem for them to see uh and to get to relive the first time watching this film would be a, a great experience so those who have not seen this film and don't know much about it um you're in for a treat so a uh, big thumbs up uh excellent pick by mike and most certainly a classic horror film uh through and through uh, let's go with you barrett yeah, somehow I saw this in the theater with my family. I think it was because they loved the original so much. Um, I convinced them to take me to see this one. Um, it is um, a masterpiece. It's a great film. Uh, it's got so many different levels to it. The acting is great. Uh, the feeling of paranoia and horror is great. Um, it's just an awesome film. Uh, definitely check it out. It's, if you have not seen it um, and pretty much everything Phil and Eric said, I totally agree with it. Just, it has just some awesomeness to it. All right. Sounds good. Uh, we'll have Mike uh, who said he's going to join us shortly, give his thoughts, but we're assuming it'll be very positive because uh, he was the one that chose this film. <laughs> That's right. So uh, for folks who are curious, uh, meaning new listeners or those just who happen to uh, be our regulars, what we do here on Dark Discussions Podcast, uh, basically we don't just review, but we also critique and dissect films. Uh, so basically we start off with some reviews and talk general stuff about our topic, and then we throw up a spoiler alert. We talk about anything and everything uh, that's related to the movie, uh, including spoilers and twists and the final scene and all those things. Uh, um, so you'll be warned at that point where we will throw up the spoiler alert. However, this film is obviously, uh, sadly to say, uh, 44 years old. Uh, so that, that, that is sad because again, we, we all, or at least I saw it when I was a young lad. Um, so it, it is an old film. So if you haven't seen it yet, shame on you. Um, but we will still throw up the spoiler alert when we get to that section of the podcast. So um, let's do some uh, general stuff first. Anybody here see the original 1956 black and white film? I know, Eric, you're not necessarily a fan of going back to uh, older films, specifically black and white films or, or that era, because of the hamminess and sometimes their stage play. Like, Generally true. And, and the music. I, made, I made an exception on this one. Actually, the choice wasn't even mine um i watched this when i was actually taking a uh a film class in college um this is one of the movies we watched because it's it's pretty widely known um that it was an allegory for uh mccarthyism um and so we analyzed that quite a bit in the class so i have seen the 1956 version very good very good uh what about you barrett have you seen the 1956 version of this film Yes. Um, it's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah, I, I like the original version as well. I did not analyze it like Eric did, though. I do know uh, the original author, Jack Finney, uh, that wrote the novel, The Body Snatches, um, he actually admitted that he kind of ripped off Who Goes There, uh, <laughs> the John W. Campbell mm-hmm. novella that The Thing is based off of. So... Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is just one in a line of films or books that 
come from that original novella by John W. Campbell. Uh, well, and you can and, see that, I feel. Well, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, the, the, the concept is, is creepy as shit. Um, if you stop and think about it, if it actually happened, right? Um, I don't think it's, I don't think it's a spoiler. <laughs> um, yeah. to reveal that the, the premise of the movie is aliens come in and create, you know, uh, duplicates of people and take over their lives. Um, and that's like, if that actually was happening, man, that like watching the movie last night and, and, and I also want to give the movie credit for its, uh, its score. Um, Oh yeah. Which, which did a great job of creating the tension and the paranoia. Um, and also, um, I noticed in the credit that, uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, was it Ben, is Ben Burt, his name, um, did the sound design. Um, and if you want to see a resume, good God, go look at this guy's IMDb page. Cause before this, he did star Wars after this, he did alien. And it just goes on from there. <laughs> huh. In fact, I'm pretty sure he's the guy that figured out that, uh, if you whack on this, uh, high tension wire in the desert. It makes the sound that we now know as the star Wars laser blasters. Um, so yeah, he did the sound design and, and like the, the screech, um, of the, of the antagonist in this movie is, is iconic. Um, so yeah, all of that good stuff. I was reading an article with the director and he was talking about how, you know, he had the actors from the original and he wanted that connection there. Um, so like basically, in his mind, this is happening at the same time as the other movie. It's just this one's in a big city. The other one's in a small city. And that guy arrives from the other one trying to warn everybody in this big city. Mm, okay. Which I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, I, I heard that on the director's commentary. Uh, the director's commentary uh, is pretty awesome. And uh, it gives a lot of insight. And uh, he specifically talks about uh, what you just mentioned, Barrett. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, the thing I was going to bring up was that Danny Zetlin was the guy that composed the music, uh, for folks who are curious, um, because Eric did mention that as well. Um, and, um, one thing I wanted to bring up was even though it's based off of a theme that came from John W. Campbell's who goes there and of, individuals becoming um replaced by another being um i want to throw this out because uh it's obviously halloween time uh days from now it'll be october and uh i've been pulling out my halloween shirts and uh, one of the shirts i pulled out uh and i wore yesterday was a, a picture of lucy westerner from the novel dracula and uh, kids were asking me all about the book and, and her character in the book and stuff. And I was thinking that vampires are kind of like these these creatures here and, and the thing, even though they're aliens, but the idea of people having their being replaced by something else, like vampires, um, I wonder if... Finney and Campbell and all these guys had that book by Bram Stoker, Dracula, in their mind when they wrote the original idea for this story here. Because, again, we have people 
who look normal and act like they they can fit in, but they have nefarious things in them, and they want to take over other people by kind of ingesting them, similar to vampires. Or am I way you know, off? Or is this a I, bad I had, analogy? I had a different thought, and that's not to say that yours is, is wrong, because this is all just theorizing. Um, the thought I had is that this theme seems to be recurring, and maybe it had to do with um, people having mental illness uh, back in the day. I mean, we still don't fully understand mental illness, but back in the day, if you had a loved one that suddenly changed behavior suddenly, um, it might be a way of explaining it. And, you know, just like, you know, the Greeks invented the gods to explain sun and thunder or whatever. Uh, it, may, it may have been a way. And of mysterious story. pregnancies. <laughs> it, it, might, it might have been a way to explain um, the sudden change in behavior uh, of something that they care about. So that was the thought that I had uh, that I don't think is the same as Phil's, but along the, along the same thought train. I, I think they're all influenced by both of those ideas. Um, I think that's a, you know, a classic horror idea is that someone's taken over by something. And I think it's influenced, like you said, by mental illness. You have things like Parasite. Yeah, speaking of another great film, in, in the in the the past, a, a great film, The Exorcist, which Mike uh, will he'll give his opinion of this film in a second, and ta- also talk about Parasites. But in in uh, The Exorcist, which is Pam's favorite movie, or one of her favorite movies, Mike's wife, Happy Birthday, Pam. Uh, um, the thing is, is, is Damien and Matt when he's talking about uh, people being possessed, because again, demon possession is also kind of sort of like this movie here or vampires for that matter. He says, see back in the day, everybody thought it was demons, but nowadays it, it, we, we, we learn about mental illness and we now know it's mental illness, which is what you were talking about, Eric. And, and so based off what you said, Barrett, people are, are, are all these types of tales where people are different, it may go back to the same thing, whether it's demons, vampires, or space aliens that take you over. Um, now, let's, let's go to you, Mike. Uh, you're about to talk about parasites, but also uh, we would obviously want to hear your opinion on this film, too, because this was your choice. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what you explained to the audience. Sorry I'm late. I uh, was decorating the gymnasium at our school for the pep rally tomorrow when things ran late. Uh, but, um, uh, let me think. So, yeah, so parasites, we know alter behavior. Um, yeah, and, and that's, that's an issue. And we have instincts that go, I, I believe that go beyond modern rational man, right. Um, you know, that, that date back from before the last 10,000 years. And that may be a part of it. You never know when, you know, the parasite has affected an organism or a host, Actual diseases like rabies is another one that affects your behavior. Um, you know, the worst cordyceps. disease of all. Yeah, cordyceps fungus. Worst disease of all, of course, that causes uh, extremely irrational behavior in human beings is puberty. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. And then let's also be honest. Uh, I've been waiting for six years for someone to make another invasion movie or miniseries or TV show 
because uh, sometimes people just change and it's hard to understand why they change. People drift apart or, and, and I am not going to get terribly political here, but I remember in the 2016 presidential election in our country that I saw people change their positions, things that they held true to that I know that I'd heard them say the same things for 10, 15, 20 years suddenly overnight changed their tune as to what they believed in or what they thought or they gave up what they used to believe. And it was a bizarre experience because they just did it on this drop of a hat based on the presence of a couple of particular politicians that nobody seemed to really like. But um, people will do that. People tend to rationalize behaviors. Think about couples that break up because they say, well, that's not the woman or man I married. Well, they are just they just changed right and sometimes it's easier to believe that there was a demon inhabiting them then they started drinking they started taking drugs then they have a brain tumor um or you know actually given when people used to get married they started going through puberty whatever it might be um so i, I think there was an internet an internet meme out there where it talked about uh, the uncanny valley Brian, we're familiar with the idea of the uncanny valley, the idea we're like kind of repulsed by these things that like at CGI, like Polar Express, where they kind of kind of look human, but aren't really. They're just far enough away from being human that we're just kind of creeped out by them. Uh, and and the, the, the Internet meme, meme is that, well, that would imply that somewhere in our history <laughs> that our ancestors have reason to be afraid of things that looked human but weren't. Um. I mean, that's taking it to an extreme, but yeah, I mean, we, we're always afraid of that. And it's a thing, right? Um, and it's not, I, you had Invasion of the Body Snatchers, you had Puppet Pop Masters, you have Doppelgangers in German folklore. You mentioned vampires, werewolves are, 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 are a variation on that theme, right? As one person literally becoming something else entirely. So I think that's just something that's fascinated people forever. Yeah, and frighten them. Yeah, well, and then you have serial killers into that bucket too that you know we just don't understand. <laughs> well, and that's a good point, my, uh, Barrett. Before we go back to Mike and get his opinion on this film here and how, where he heard about it and how he first saw it, but serial killers, you know, they could be oh he's a nice guy. The guy that lived across the street, I didn't know that he was killing people, you know, so. Yeah, that's a that's a another kind of form of uh, um, like a different face behind closed doors. You know, you know, you just don't know. Um, you know, you could be like like we saw in the movie Unbreakable, where Bruce Willis's character would walk into the train station, and then he just starts touching people, and people that just look like normal people, they're bad people because they've that, done that, stuff. That sounds so wrong. <laughs> Whoa, I didn't well, mean it that way. Touching people. <laughs> so, Mike, um, um, how, how did you uh, hear, hear about? Yeah. Um, but I've been a science Mike, fiction fan. Yeah, I've been a science fiction fan as long as I can remember. Uh, I think I've told this like some of my earliest memories were watching Star Trek or Land of the Lost. Um, oh or, yeah, it was my first crush. Oh, there you go. I like Dopey, but. Uh, yeah, it's uh, so it was always a thing. And so my parents also 
you know, I liked and grew, they grew up, right? My parents were born in the 40s, so they grew up in the, the, the 50s and all those science fiction films. And, and they liked those and they often pointed out, oh, this, you know, it's a forbidden planet. It's going to be on Channel 11 and Rodan's going to be on Channel 5 or whatever. And, and would and, you know, tell me about it and tell me it was what a great movie it is and I would enjoy it and I should watch it. Right. So I remember watching the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers and I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, and then they did a remake of it. And I think this may be my first experience with a remake. Now that I think about it, I don't know that I'd seen a remake or knew what a remake was, even though they had done remakes. Uh, and I went to see it in theaters. What was it? What did it come out like? Some, like Christmas of 78? Something like yep, that? I saw, I saw it then, too. Yes. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not uh, the only one. <laughs> yep. So that means I either saw it late 78 or early 79. And uh, at that point, I would have been eight years old. And uh, I love the original film, but the original film was made in the 50s, but that meant it was a shorter film. It was a little bit more of a blunt, straightforward film. It was a less nuanced film. But you know what? Blunt, short, and straightforward appeals to? It appeals to an eight-year-old. And subtle, nuanced, longer doesn't appeal to an eight-year-old brain. So the only things, there there are very few things I remembered from this movie. I remember being bored. I may have, you know, by it. Uh, which is never a good thing, is have a bored eight-year-old in a two-hour movie. I remember the banjo dog. <laughs> uh, I remembered the opening scene, the space seeds. And I remembered the, um, I'm pretty sure I remembered the um, the greenhouse or farm or whatever that was at the end. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, you you, you cannot watch this movie and not remember the very final shot. Uh, um, so that's always stuck with it. But again, I was eight and I am self-aware enough to know that what I liked at, at eight and didn't like at eight would did not hold true when I was 20. So I revisited it probably sometime in my twenties, maybe when I was in college, maybe a little after. And I found I really liked it. And I like I, I don't know really which I prefer. I think there's obviously things in the 80s or uh, sorry, the 50s version that are very dated. Uh, the role of Becky as the lead female is very much a stand aside and let the man do all the work kind of, kind of role. Um, uh, but it's still it's a it's a thing of that time. And there was one inconsistency to it that we may get to later. But I really found myself how much I enjoyed the, the new version because there's a lot of subtle things that as an eight-year-old I never would have picked up on. Uh, and so I've wanted to do, and we've talked about doing like a Body Snatchers episode for like 10 years now. I remember making sure I got all the, the films on DVD and, or Blu-ray and watching them to, to, to make sure I was up on, on it. And 10 years later, here we are uh, watching it. And so I just I think it's a phenomenal adaptation. The fact that it's got Sutherland, Goldblum, Cartwright, um, Nimoy, you know, that's, you, you can't do, um, you can't do better than that in, in this little science fiction nerd's brain. And then I remember watching it after I was old enough to really pick up on these things and realizing that if you wanted to look at it a certain way, I, it, it could actually work as a sequel to the original film. Yeah. Um, we were talking about that just a little while ago because the director actually kind of states that. 
So it doesn't have to, but you're going, the idea that it's an escalation, you go from this little town in Southern California to San Francisco. And if you want to say it took 20 years for that disease to spread or that plague, whatever those pasta spread, because you notice it spreads really freaking fast in San Francisco. It seems to just take a couple of days to get everybody. And that would make sense if they come in. But it, it's not necessary either. But you, there's like no sense of time. They show this little space spore is being sped, spread out to the, the, the universe. And then we see the plants growing on Earth. But we don't know, was that where they landed? We don't know how much time has passed. Whether it was, uh, you know, 10 years, 50 years, 100 years, a million years. How long those things have been floating out there. But, um, yeah, I love I just... Like I said, I just, I just love the film. It's so creepy. There's so many little things that if you pay attention, like uh, there's a scene where uh, Elizabeth and uh, oh, Donald Sutherland's character, um, they're, they're walking down the hall. Matthew, and look, Matthew, and as Elizabeth walk, Matthew walking down the hall uh, in the uh, Department of Health, you just see somebody like pressed up against the window of their office door, staring at them as they walk by. They don't do anything to call attention to it, and you wouldn't notice it. Eight-year-old me never would have noticed it. But as you, know, you see it, you go, oh, my God, that's just, it was just a weird little background thing. And they do so much of that in this film, as well as calling out more obvious things like the guy in the, the Chinese laundry. Not my wife. That, not my wife. Right? That guy. Um, sometimes they put a button on it, and sometimes it's very nuanced, very subtle. Um, yeah, and I just, I just, yeah, that's brilliant. what you were talking and, about, and Mike. That and, that, and that's what you were talking about, Mike, uh, how some people's, you know, spouse changes for whatever reason or, or their, their friend or their child or whatever. And, and I was, when you were talking about that, I was thinking of the, the, the Chinese laundry, uh, scene as a matter of fact, because that's the guy he keeps on saying, that's not my wife. That's not her. But I, you know, right. But I also think he was we were right. all old enough. And some of us have been on this podcast long enough. We're all old enough that I'm pretty sure we've all lost at least one parent. Yes. I right? not yet. Okay. But, I mean, I know I, I see changes. I saw changes in my father oh. before he passed. Yeah. I certainly see I see, change, I see changes in my mom, even though it's not nearly to the same degree. She's an older version of my mom. But you know a lot of people as they get older, and you just, just by virtue of that fact, Act. It's the reverse of puberty, right? It's just whatever it is, uh, it's, it's you're on the opposite side of that hill. And you start and going think, through changes. And I think now that people live longer, you see it's even more extreme. You see it. So, And I think a lot of it's how many people have heard, you know, you've heard the uh, better to li- you know, live fast and die young. Right. I don't want to, you know, I, I want to die before I grow old, right from the who. Mm-hmm. Um, Talking I, about I, my I, now, generation. Now, I want to be clear. I don't want to die before I get old. Um, but I look, my, my grandfather died of Alzheimer's. Uh, and that part of that terrifies me because that's the one thing I would hate to have to, 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 to live with. Um, and certainly wasn't something I would hate to inflict on my, my own loved ones. Um, and, and there are other forms of dementia, obviously, as you get older. None of us want to go through that. You know, we all want to change, but we all want to change for the better in theory. Except for those of us who are, you know, pretty perfect as we are. Thank so I think you. that's all. That also goes with that, right? Nobody, nobody wants, nobody 
wants to like wake up tomorrow and you know not be able to remember something and i know my my, my brother worked with someone as a social worker who was a really smart man but uh went to the dentist and had an allergic reaction to the the anesthetic they used and it just fried his brain mm. You know, somebody who gets a hit. I remember seeing one on. Thanks, um, Thanks Mike. I'm going to an oral surgeon tomorrow. That's <laughs> okay. I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad that shares so that somebody else has that disturbing thought in the back of their head anytime somebody <laughs> sticks a drill in their mouth. <laughs> That's but, um, just mean. <laughs> but there's another one I saw. I it's like one of those like Discovery Health or Channel or something was talking about the you know how the nervous system functions. About a guy who has, I think he, I don't remember if he got hit in the head or if he had a stroke. But he basically lost his emotion. Like, he didn't care about anything. And when I say he didn't care about anything, I don't mean, like, oh, he didn't care whether you voted Republican or Democrat. I mean, like, if his daughter got run over by a truck, it wouldn't have been a sociopath. Big deal. Well, not even a sociopath. It's just... <laughs> but I mean... Everybody fill out your bingo card. Yeah. I mean, don't we, don't we all right? kind kind of define ourselves in a way based on who we love and who we hate, what we like and what we dislike. And that's kind of what this, what this story is about, right? Is taking away people's passions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know Phil, you know, Phil, you would be devastated if something happened to your dog and Eric to his cats. Damn right. Right. And, and Barrett, you have a cat too, right? I have several, yeah. You have several. So you would all be devastated to them. I won't pick on anybody's actual living human relatives. And we'd all be dead. Now imagine you're just like, oh, cat's dead. Pick it up, put it in the trash, and move along. Would you ever want to be that person? <laughs> there are times I feel like it, but I know I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So, yeah, and we've all hurt. We've all been hurt. But the emotions make us who we are. Right. Uh, to quote uh, to quote a great philosopher, uh, one uh, Admiral James T. Kirk, uh, I want my pain. I need my pain. Right. So, anyhow, pain sucks. It does, but it Terrible. also lets us know we're alive. We need the pain. Just give into it, Phil. Mental pain. So the problem. The problem is hope. Yeah. Hope is the root of all disappointment. That is true. That is true. Be a defeatist, and you'll be. Fine. I think, Eric, you remember? I think it was the fourth season of of uh, Angel. Did you watch? I know you watched Buffy. Did you watch Angel? No, I never did. Oh well, spoiler warning for a show that's now disturbingly enough twenty years old. Uh, there was a story where uh, Gina Torres basically plays a demonic god come to Earth. Nice and sort. Of and it sort of exhibits this hole on everybody, this hypnotic where everybody worships her. And, is, as, and, and basically, because of this, she brings about world peace. But they have to sacrifice human beings. She devours so many people a day. And, you know, your heroes eventually overcome her and defeat her. And the world returns back to what it was and then they they, they kind of realize oh wait a minute she was eating a few people a day but how many people then were now dying of what are we even talking about anymore i was saying how many people were dying of things like like violence uh, dying from crime war and all this other stuff so these beings 
Kings and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, right? They're, oh, they're bringing okay. you the connection. All right. They're bringing you a paradise. There's a cost, but is the cost that bad? Now, a lot of that will depend on how you define who you are and what you, your, your belief in consciousness are. And because they, there's their bill of goods is you will live on in a new body. All your mm. thoughts and memories of who you were will transfer over to the new host. Whereas I imagine somebody say like Phil, who has uh, his religious convictions, would say, well, my soul probably ain't going along with that. And you'll make a copy of me, but it won't be me. And I'll be dead. And my loved ones will be dead. Right. That's correct. And I would think that anyway, because, yeah, because they're, they're, they're just a copy. They're not you. <laughs> so. Um, right, right. So yeah, yeah because you, there's, there's multiple things. What, what, what I was going to add to that, Mike, was is that that um, it, it's it's that's why I brought up the vampire example when you you were joining is because you know you you are still it's still the same body, but it's not really you. And even in the in the novel Dracula, at the moment he gets killed at the end of that novel. They, Stoker specifically writes this in uh, Harker's journal where he says, when I saw Dracula die, his face relaxed and he, he felt at peace as well as happy because he was living, that was the person he was prior to becoming a vampire. So in other words, his death, was liberation or deliverance because he really was Dracula. He was some sort of demon in the body of Dracula for right. 500 and years. Uh, and, and that speaking of speaking of Buffy, that's how they, they explained it in their mythology is that when you die, your, your spirit moves on, but a demon inhabits that body and turns you into a vampire, right? Some sort of blood, blood consuming demon. And so it's the same body, same memories, right? Not the same driver, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and these these creatures here, they will uh, give you like you peace as you don't have a desire to kill anymore or fight or or battle or steal or whatever, which is a good thing because those are all horrible things. But you also lose everything else too, which is identity, love, compassion, happiness. Uh, enjoyment and so on and so forth. So the price to pay for a quote unquote utopia is have, is have, have no emotions at all. Yeah. In a way they become slaves to this alien emotional slaves. They can't even have emotions yeah. anymore. Well, so here's a question. Yeah, it's an interesting thing too, about yeah, go on, Mike. But, continue your thought. I'll hold on to mine. I've, Okay, I was going to made an excellent point earlier, Mike, which is these spores, who knows how long they were floating in outer space before they hit Earth. And I was going to say that their intention wasn't specifically necessarily for Earth. We just don't know. It was just random that they happened to land on Earth and then they were able to take over animal bodies. And as a result, they became uh, sentient again. 
uh, and it was just like maybe they don't even have evil intentions. You know, they're just uh, unemotional, like plants or something. And and in the first place, so it, it is interesting. Um, but yeah, now what were you going to say, Mike? So, well, let me ask this. Um, let's remove ourselves from this. Like, imagine that Leonard Nimoy says, you know, you know, we're tired of fighting you. We'll let you live. We'll let Elizabeth live, your loved ones live. But we're just going to do take over everybody else. Would you want to live in that world? It'd be a world with no war. It'd be a war with no a world with no crime. Would you want to live in that world? And even assuming you could trust them to never do anything to you or your direct or your your immediate family and direct descendants, is that a world you want to be? Well, in? I'll say this, Mike. Uh, well, I'll say this. I think most people, if if they were in that situation, not just you know saying it out of the blue, but if they were actually in that situation, they would say yes, because the uh, power of t- uh, survival is strong in all creatures that are, that are living. So humans are the same way. And, you know, we were talking in House of the Dragon, that podcast, about, uh, the two wipes in that show and what happens to the two. And I said, well, one never wanted to die because there's a breath they want to take until they die and they just can't live anymore rather than being killed. And and then in the movie Dawn of the Dead, the remake from 19, I mean, 2004, there's a scene where uh, the, the father of the girl um, says, you want to don't kill me until I turn because you want to keep stay alive so you can have each breath uh, because life is important and so on and so forth. So if you would be unmolested by these creatures and allowed to live in this world, I would think most people in that situation on the spot because of survival would say yes. For me personally, I would still say yes now, even if it's not on the spot, because um, I would be unmolested I would still have all my family members being unmolested and um, I wouldn't have to worry ever again about walking in a dark alley and being mugged and killed for no reason. So I would be okay with that. Me personally. I don't know what anybody else has to say, but please speak up. Well, I mean, it wouldn't be much fun. Um, I, I don't really. I still don't have a full understanding of what the end game of the invaders is. Um, they, they want to take over everybody. Why? What's the end? Like, do they just want to make as many of themselves as possible? I guess. Yeah, they're just um, consumers, and they destroy everywhere they go. Yeah. So, I mean, assuming they're they have no interest in continuing our society. I mean, what are you gonna do? <laughs> right you're not going to have any friends um they're going to stop making movies they're going to stop making television shows um all the entertainment's going to be gone nobody's going to write any more books um any job 
that's available is simply going to be utilitarian. You're not going to be able to choose anything you're interested in. Um, so, I mean, I get the will to survive at the same time. Would it really be a life? I don't know. Just a counterpoint. I think it's oh. life as that alien sees it. <laughs> Just consuming and absorbing everything. Um, it, it is odd that they continue to do the jobs they were doing when they were not taken over by the aliens. Uh, yeah, I don't understand that part of it. Yeah. If they do that, then they just basically become stagnant, right? The whole society becomes stagnant. They keep doing what they were doing. But does anyone learn a new craft or anything? Or, you know, how does that work? Do kids, do their kids grow up? Do they have kids? There's a lot of questions there. Right. And and anything that involves emotion, is it still going to happen? You know, the desire to right. create? Um, all those things I just mentioned, plus, I don't know, even cooking. Uh, is anybody going to care what anything tastes like? Are they just going to eat gruel? <laughs> just, do they need to eat? Alive? Are these human forms like, do they absorb sunlight? Yeah, I mean, yeah there's a lot of unanswered questions. <laughs> and it's fine. They don't need to answer all the questions. Right. Exactly. We're, just, we're just having a BS what if discussion. Yep. <laughs> oh, I mean, I think I'm not sure. We never, we have never in the various incarnations of this story, um, which would be Invasion of the Body Snatchers in, in the 50s and then in the 70s, then Body Snatchers in the 90s, and then Invasion in the early 2000s, I think. That one to, was so. bad. Yeah. I saw that one. Um, but I don't think any of them have ever followed them through. And I think the one, that one, the Nicole Kidman one, Daniel Craig one, was. Um, was it not plants? It seemed it was the most different of the three to me. I barely remember it. Yes. It's yeah. one of those things I forget exists until somebody reminds me it exists. Uh, so it, it may be they go about their daily routines for the simple fact that they have to not give away that they're new, that they're different. It may simply be that the creatures only drive is, which is what I get is just to, for, to propagate themselves. Um, and that they have no need or desire to change what anybody was doing because clearly what they were, they were doing, they got them to survive to the point they were at then. And, you know, their world was seemed to be holding together. So we're just going to keep kind of doing what we were doing minus the, the emotional stuff. Uh, or maybe after they'd finally taken everything over, things would then the world would change. And that I don't have any idea. But you know, there is certainly an attempt to just propagate the species and spread out and dominate and take everything over and then move to a new world. Um, and just keep doing that again and again and again and again, kind of like Disney. <laughs> and, um, Come on, Ching. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I see it. Let's, again, I'm kind of coming from the biology point of view. Is that's that's what most things do, right? You you're born, you fuck, you may hope to make more, and then you die. If you're lucky, you die before you fuck. Uh, right after you fuck, you get at least like some time. <laughs> Whoa! You, you, you don't know what you meant. Mike, Mike, if I could, there, Mike. If I could, I, yeah. Mike, if I could interject for a second, um, like like a forest. Yeah, you know, I go into my backyard, and you know, you get the forest. And then you have all these are trees. Go, are we going to bears again? Growing. <laughs> what, no. 
but all these trees, all these trees are growing and growing and growing. And, and so a lot of the sapling or shorter trees to just die off. And the trees, they don't have any emotion or thought process. All they want to do is get the sun and the rain and survive. And so the trees that don't make it, they just die off and then fall and, and that's it. So it's, it's kind of like that in a sense, this movie, this, these creatures, because they come here and they're, they don't necessarily have any nefarious belief system. They just want to be the tallest and the, and the highest to collect the sun and the rain as an, an analogy in the sense by just replacing people and dogs and animals with their uh, genetics or DNA or whatever it is that they are. So I, I, I guess that that's the point of their life, which is kind of what you're trying to say, I think, which is, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're talking about, you know, sex and, and procreation and eating. And so, you know, basically the, like they say in Jaws, you know, there's only one purpose. Swim, you eat. Sharks. Yeah. They, yeah. And, and make baby sharks. And I think that's kind of what these creatures are, but even less uh, emotional than a shark. <laughs> they just they just are like plants because technically that's what they are. They come from plants, I guess. But I don't know. Anybody you want to add to that, Mike? Based off of my um, interjection there. Yeah. No, well, I mean, I think I, I've said for a while, you know, people say, I want to meet an, you know, I'd love to meet an alien. It's like, well, you kind of do every time you walk outside because plants are about as alien a life form to humans as you're going to, as you can find, right? They, like, you can't imagine what the existence of a plant is. You know, you mentioned that they don't have emotions or feel anything. It's like, well, not as far as we can tell because they don't have a face. They don't smile. They don't laugh. They don't yell or shout. Uh, on occasion, they uh, try to kill each other with wind. They might shamal on stories, <laughs> but um, you know when uh, oh, it's a black oak. I remember which is a tree that or black maple maybe, that like rains the acid down on on the ground around it to stop nearby plants from growing in and taking nutrients out of the soil. Is it doing that just because it's a thing it does? Does it just discrete that as a biological function? The way that you know you and I sweat or is that a thing like does it does it know what it's doing does it have an awareness and the way a tree is put together is so different from us that we can't imagine it having say a consciousness or emotion or thought or feeling although Veronica Cartwright thought she did thought, thought the plants did and I wonder why did the author of the original story use plants was it just because oh everybody does an alien invader that's in metal ships as Veronica Cartwright said why don't I just do something different? And so he chose to do plants or was it starting with the idea that plants are such a bizarre alien life form? What if I just did it from that perspective? But even then they could just use plants because then you end up with day of the Triffids. You start mm -hmm. out with plants that take human form and they, that, that just appear to do what they do. They appear to grow and reproduce and grow and reproduce and grow and reproduce. Although in this case it being a, a like a, a, a parasitic, plants of some sort so i don't know i think i find it i think the the idea is interesting i think um 
you know, it, it, the whole thing is just such a bizarre experience. It's sort of thing. I, I, like I said, I've been waiting for a while from there for them to revisit it. And I think you could certainly get an interesting miniseries there. Certainly anybody, how many of us, you know, people love conspiracy theories, right? And isn't this really just a very glamorized conspiracy theory in, in a science fiction film where instead of lizard people running the world, it's plant people. Hmm. Well, that, you're, you're technically right because that's the reason why certain characters in this movie uh, uh, get taken over is because they, they just don't believe it. You know, like Leonard Nimoy's character, um, He's probably the smartest of all the characters in the movie, um, but he's one of the easiest to take down because he wasn't expecting it. You know, it comes down to that idea I always talk about zombies, where the smartest and the strongest aren't necessarily the people that are going to survive the zombie apocalypse. Because if they don't know what's happening or they don't believe it's happening, or they just happen to be standing next to somebody that turns, they're dead. If, if you, if you have the conviction that some things just aren't possible, and when something like this happens, you're not going to be able to comprehend it, and therefore you'll just be taken off guard. Well, and this is one of the things I love about this movie, the paranoia of it. You don't even know when he's turned. So right, you're right. you're always suspecting him, but you never know the actual turning point until you actually see him with three other people that have you know have turned. <laughs> and he says it better be soon we take them over. So it's just kind of neat. I love that whole paranoia feeling. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Particularly the one sequence where, uh, where he's in the phone booth. <laughs> he's talking to people on the phone and they start addressing him by name. <laughs> he's like, wait a minute. I didn't tell you who I was. <laughs> How do you know my name? How do you know my name? Yeah, that was awesome. It was pretty great. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, and, and this goes back to where you said, Mike, obviously these folks weren't told by the aliens that we will not molest you and we give up and you guys can just live your life. But it also shows the my point, which is it's a hopeless situation, whether it's zombies or, or this or some other apocalypse, but they want to survive, you know, and Goldblum, he gets taken out, and then um, because he he was trying to be a hero, and then then everybody else, you know, they just slowly get taken because you have to sleep and all this other stuff. And the moral of the story is never try. Don't trust anyone. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Good, fast, yeah. first. As speaking later. of. Speaking of 1970s films, the ending with the greenhouse uh, felt very much to me similar to the ending of uh, Soylent Green. And both of the films, this one and Soylent Green, are kind of conspiracy films, in a sense, like you were talking about, Mike. And well, the last in... you know, 20 minutes of each, the, the, they're they come to quote unquote, the headquarters in a sense. And we, we learn everything and, and they both kind of end as a bummer in a sense, but go on, Eric. 
I was just going to say, this is something I wanted to mention because I, I found it quite odd that the hero in this movie is a fucking health inspector. Uh, <laughs> never, never seen that anywhere else. And, uh, but he's also he's also referring to the fact that he's an important government official, and I would have to research. I was five years old. I don't I don't remember exactly what was going on in the world at this point. Um, but um, I, I wonder if there was some some. Uh, I mean, there's always a certain level of distrust of the government, but I wonder if there was something in particular going on, and maybe this is trying to like have like a. Uh, pro-government spin to it because he's the hero? I, I don't know. It, am I just making stuff up here? Eric, Eric, you got to remember, it was a rat turd, not a caper. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I don't think we're quite at the point of hating the government like we do these days, like, you know, a lot of people do. <laughs> so, but, I, I mean, don't know I, Am I just pulling the, this out of my ass or is there something here? It is an interesting aspect that you bring up, Eric. Yeah. Because every time I watch this film, I always think that because the health inspector and the way he goes to the restaurants at the beginning where they set it up, even if he he's right and it's a rat turd and not a caper, he's being a pain in the ass. He's kind of a dick. Bothering <laughs> these small businesses. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, he's a dick. So... <laughs> It it kind of makes you like ah oh, he's like the IRS uh, you know or something like right. that. Ah, yeah, yeah. father, you know. But it also shows that to him he's just doing a job. It's not because he, he believes it necessarily. It's it, you know it's just his job and 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 whatnot. In other words, I, I don't think he's um really into what he's doing. He's just doing it because it's a good job and he's getting paid well, whatever. But what's the movie trying to say about his job and what's the movie? Why did it choose that profession for the character? And that's I mean, what it's I think an odd choice, me. right? It's a very odd choice. Yeah. It's, it's, interesting. I mean, I don't think yeah. I've ever seen another movie where the health inspector, <laughs> the, the hero. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right. It's it's almost like if if he was if he was a, a IRS accountant or something. Yeah, right? exactly. Why would they choose That'd that? That'd be even worse. But <laughs> yeah, it did give him those ties yeah, though. So like, it gave him those ties to like the government that made him able to contact people more easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of. Right, right, because it's such a odd government job federal job or, or even state you know not just a city job mm-hmm. that it gives him enough access to important people in the government for for this story without having him be like an agent or an FBI or something like that where well, he and would that's be able to get they could, they could have done you know FBI cop whatever um, right it's That'd be what we see now. Oh, but you know what? <laughs> yeah, that's what we'd see now. I kind of like I, I, that it's not. But, but but my point is, is it gives him access to important people 
but slower than it would have had he been like in the FBI. Right. But oh, if he okay. wasn't in the right. government at all, if he wasn't in the government at all, he wouldn't even have access, period. So right. to get if he was a cab driver, he would have been screwed. Work, well, it turns out he was screwed anyway. Right. But you know, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah. So, so it to also get puts it to work in the story, you you you, you give him kind of sorta access without full access. Now, Mike, <laughs> you were gonna say something? Also puts him in a position of power and authority over others, which I, I mean, I don't know if you could see he abused it or not, but he certainly seems to have a thing out for Pierre or whoever it was at the beginning. No, well, you could argue you Pierre know, was sort it, of eating French. Well, way too much for that turds to be in here. Yes. <laughs> um, but it makes him a, a government bureaucrat, and I think we've all uh, interfaced with not every government bureaucrat, but certainly people. We have a little bit of power, and that power kind of goes PSA to their agents. Yeah. Right. Um, so they are not nearly as kind, loving, and forgiving as our eventual robot overlords will be. Uh, um, and God bless. So, and, and it gives him a reason like to show, right? because he walks out at that opening scene, and his car windshield has been crashed because they threw a bottle at it. Uh, uh, and it brings up that pettiness of human beings again, right? The, the That we can be a little shitty to each other. In the case of Pierre, or whatever his name was, literally, Maurice. Was it Maurice? Was he the gangster of love? I don't I remember. So. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's literally feeding his people rat turds, maybe, we think. So, I mean, I, they never really established. We, we never get confirmation that it's a rat turd. That I know of. No. Right, right. And, and we, we don't know if they are really that dirty of a restaurant or if it's just, you know, bad luck. You know, I mean. Or, uh, well, I mean and, and honestly, how... later, though, didn't they catch again? the rat at the restaurant? Well, they caught a rat. It doesn't mean that that was a turd that they found. And you're living in a city. I don't care if it's San Francisco or New York or Montreal or wherever, there will be rats. I think I read somewhere that you're never more right. than like 10 feet away from a rat, and that's creepy. It is creepy. Well, in in <laughs> in a city environment. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it probably wouldn't surprise me. So, um, and I, I think, yeah, but I also like, this was the 70s, right? The 70s was kind of the dawn of the everyman kind of character. So they didn't go with everybody being a cop or a lawyer or an actor or a, a mil or a soldier or something or somebody in a glamorous position. Playboy I stand by my position. At least in, films, in, in literature, in, in literature, they, they, they already started doing the everyman. I mean, that started all the way back to uh, the jungle. I'm talking by, about the seventies, the seventies uh, um, cinema. In film, yeah, in film, yeah, I would like because you because think about like seventies and late sixties, which a lot of people still consider like the the, I, the the real golden age of of modern cinema. But you would get guys guys like Dustin Hoffman and Gene Hackman never would have been leading actors in the thirties and forties. They would be character actors. You started getting people who look like sure. normal human beings. You were much more likely to get people who came across as normal human beings. 
And this is before the 80s, where suddenly it became the Superman, the, the Arnold Schwarzeneggers and the John Claude Van Dams and the Tom Cruises and the, you know, always a wonderfully beautiful. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. right. If, if we if we, we we talk about it, yeah you're you're absolutely right because you know in the I mean Donald Sutherland he would not be a star I mean I mean you look at him with his curly hair and all, and plus he's Canadian Th- those you know the, no. that that type he would not become a star unless it was the seventies uh, Al Pacino Robert De Niro Robert Duvall um, you said Dust, Dustin Hoffman um, there's no way that Richard Dreyfus you know would have been um, you said Gene Hackman, you, you know, these are all just regular looking folk. They weren't the, the, uh, matinee idols of, you know, like William Holden and Charlton Heston and all those folks back in the fifties and stuff. So, and Robert Mitchum and all that. So right, I, I, I see now. the point. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, it's back. To yeah. That. So, so yeah. So you were much more likely to get a guy who was just a guy and obviously not, not everybody is a, health inspector but it's not like you said fbi it's not soldier you know it's also not your typical teenager right which is where they went with body snatchers in 92 93 right was that was the the family i thought they lived on a military base if i remember correctly right the family they were army brats that's right it yeah that's right so um newspaper report of course is always a classic one because you know Weirdly, things that are written tend to be written by people who write, and so they tend to be fascinated by people who write for a living, <laughs> and they like to make them their heroes of their stories. I don't know what you're talking about. Certainly, never any Stephen King. Exactly. <laughs> and certainly, the the worst thing that I would I could ever possibly happen to a person is not writer's block. Um, no, but you're right. No, you're right. It absolutely isn't. It is an odd and eccentric choice, but it feels like a right choice for that era. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What Kevin yeah. McCarthy did back in the 1954 version, like what his character's yeah, job. I don't remember. Or is he just guy in office because it was the 50s and you know, man work in office, <laughs> you know, with the, not in factory. You know, with his suit and tie every day. Right, right. Not one of three standard haircuts. Yeah, it's it's a so so it's like a, yeah, per, perfect type of actor, Donald Sutherland, with a, a perfect type of um uh job where he's kind of hated by a lot of people, you know, but. It, and it's just a job. So, yeah, yeah it's interesting. Um, where else do we want to go? I want to talk about, in particular, the scene where they start to duplicate um, Matthew. Because that scene I found exceptionally creepy. Um where you start to see the pods blooming and giving birth. Uh, and then the ones slowly starting to look like him. Um, man, those effects really hold up well. Um, considering the amount of time that's passed, I was impressed. The effects that I'm always, it was pretty kind of interested in and that I, I can't, 
figure out really what they did if they were photographing real organisms is the release of the seeds at the beginning and like the the where they have like these translucent growths right mm-hmm. that's almost like over i think i don't know if it's over the credits or not but it's like yeah it's, it's in, behind the opening credits yeah and I, I have no idea how they do that but yeah but i think a lot of the effects hold up and a lot of them i know how they do like when you see the uh in that opening scene uh, on earth before the teacher picks up the plants the uh you see the tendrils grow well now i know that's done by putting the tendrils out and pulling them through and then reversing mm-hmm. the film you know but it's still visually very effective those are very basic effects that work work great mm-hmm. um i don't know that every single shot holds up there was one shot that i put i'm 90 percent certain was a model of san francisco <laughs> uh that they shot at some point but it's also one of these quick interstitial scenes that most people wouldn't be paying attention to right um you know, I think like there's the scene where Donald Sutherland caves in his own face, in, in the, right, right yeah, after the scene. Yeah, that was part of that about. scene I was talking about. And you know, again, we've seen a lot of horror films, you know, so I can go, oh yeah, that was a fake face, that was a fake head. But certainly for the time, it was it was would have been really good. And even now, it still works, even if it's not foolproof. Mm-hmm. You know that you can recognize where the edit is in there. Uh, but it's still an effective scene because how many people really? get to punch their own face in, you know, with a hoe. <laughs> a gardening I mean, hoe. It's, it's, it's pretty I, awesome. I, I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't say that there's one part of that scene that isn't pretty awesome. I, I think those effects hold up perfectly today. So I'm with you, Eric. It's, it's amazing effects. Oh yeah. I, I know, just... like you said, Mike, we, we, we know the, the secrets, but, but yeah, it was pretty awesome. Go ahead, Barrett. Well, and the emotion it elicits when he bashes in his own face is just awesome. <laughs> just got to be aware. Well, I like how he didn't want to do it. Yeah, he didn't want to do it to the to the other body, but then to himself. That's when he freaked. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I gotta wonder, and this is sort of that Back to the Future thing where you're never supposed to come into contact with your past self. Like, what happens if you come in contact with yourself? Like, how does your brain reconcile seeing you? I mean, would you even recognize you right away? Because you're going to be looking, because you never see you. You <laughs> see mirror you, right? Uh-huh. This is why we all, like most people, I can't say all, but a lot of people just don't like the way they look in pictures. It's because that's not who you are. The person you see is the person in the mirror, but that's not who you are. That's not who everybody else sees. They don't see mirror you. They see the reverse of the mirror you. That you always, that's that's always your image, and it's just it's just got to be a sort of bizarre moment of what what huh, you know, I, I'm there but I'm not quite right, and why am I there when I'm here, and like how would your brain even reconcile that? It's just such a a bizarre experience. I mean, if you're obviously if you grow up as an identical twin, that's one thing, but as someone who's just walking around, you bump into yourself somewhere. It's like, huh? So, and would you want to like just would your brain just recoil and say imposter and want to smash it in the face with a gardening tool? Right, right, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. There was another movie that something like that happened where they we just got to kill our other self 
because you just it, it couldn't even been a comedy like like Rick and Morty or something. It was a cartoon, but but it was something like that where you just got to kill your other self because they are going to try to kill me first. And and there was a I swear it was a film, and it was kind of comedy, but not really. And um, yeah, it wasn't that. It was that. an older. It wasn't that. No, no, it was a good. It was a film that I actually liked. That one, I, I didn't really like that film. Um, I forget what it was though. Damn, I can't remember. But, but yeah, I mean, uh, um, it's a fair point. But at that point, you know that these are imposters, right? I mean, they had a suspicion, right? And then he actually finally sees it firsthand after that. And so oh. you're probably right. His first reaction is to freak but after that he wouldn't he would be freaking not because of what he saw but because he knows what they're doing i think he he has a an advantage in this film in that it is a remake and it's a remake of a film that was very popular and that had already had been introduced into popular culture um it was one of the the, the, the big science fiction films of the era uh and so unless you were like, you know, a, a child or living in a closet, you went into this movie knowing kind of what the story was, right? That people are being replaced by the pod people. So I think he gets to play with that a little bit because he knows the audience is ahead of the characters. And he doesn't have to explain it too much to the audience. And he can let scenes play out at the beginning where the audience should already be questioning Oh, is the priests on the swing already one of them? Actually, uh, if you listen to the director's commentary, the priest, by the way, is, is the my favorite actor, Robert Duvall. He did it as a favor for, for Seagal. Uh, not Seagal, um, for um, the, the, the director. What the hell's his name? Kaufman? Uh, Seagal was the director of the original. Uh, Kaufman, yeah. And... Um, he Kaufman says in the director's commentary that Robert Duvall's priest is patient zero. Okay. And, um, you know, at that point, it, it's this weird, creepy scene because you see the priest all dressed up in his mass outfit. Swings. God damn it. Stupid series, um, but you hear um, he, he's he's like swinging on the swing with a blank weird face, dressed in his mass outfit, and it just doesn't make sense. And so it's like this little creepy moment at the beginning of the film to set up the, the what we're gonna see, and. Um, well, it's such a weird thing because it doesn't make sense in any way because let's say that it was a priest and I could see a priest or a grown man or a grown woman reliving their childhood by sitting on a swing and swinging on it. But you would expect there to be a smile on their face yep. and he's swinging on it and there's there's and with like the stern seriousness. It's like, you know, if I don't keep swinging on this swing, people are going to die. You know, it's just like this, you know, this mask on as he's swinging. And it's just, 
So you already have the the weirdness of an adult on a children's toy. And then you have the fact that it's he's not enjoying it, which it, it, that then which then makes puts that into another contrast. And then you so if you know that these are what these are, these are these alien creatures that don't have emotions. Why the fuck was he doing it? Was this unless it was well, a thing? Plus, that this, unless it was, unless it was he, a thing that should, this priest regular did. Maybe the priest did like to go out and swing. But, well, plus, but 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 the weird thing about it is he's using his his Sunday mass clothes. Right. He's, and he's in, priests he's, usually he's in don't do box. that. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So it shows you that these aliens, even if they do take over your essence and memories they're still not completely right in the head in other words they don't take you over completely in a sense yeah it's it's bizarre so i do recommend by the way to anybody like watches there was uh, david attenborough's secret life of plants there was another uh documentary plants behaving badly and like you realize plants have a, a a whole life that we don't even realize they have and they operate on different timelines and they just be they sense the world differently and it's just i think gives you a different appreciation for them and i'm being curious to see if that any of that if someone would make a new body snatchers film if they would stick with plants if they stick with plants would they learn any of this new information we've learned but I was just thinking, like Veronica Cartwright talking about, oh, it's all these studies about the plants. The music is for the plants. Yeah, but I hate the music. Turn it off, right? That that conversation. Um, yeah, it's a weird, it's a weird thing because to us, it's just what are plants? Plants are a thing we stick in the corner and water once a week. True, true. Um, now, where else did we want to go? Um, Eric uh, Barrett. Uh, what do you got that you want to bring up? I really like the end scene with the trees. It just, it's just a really cool scene. Um, the way, I, the way those trees look, it almost looks like a devastated planet, even though I know those trees are normal. Um, it's just, it's wild. That scene. I just like it a lot. Yeah. Because, because I mean, I'm not from California and I've only visited San Francisco, uh, for work and uh, enjoyed the city when I did, but it was during the summer. Uh, so I'm not too familiar with how, uh, their, their winters are, but I'm assuming those trees and it was filmed intentionally, I'm guessing in, in fall or winter when all the, the leaves were off the trees. So it makes it more creepy too. Or, or it could have just been a happy accident as well. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Just makes it look really alien for some reason. That whole scene where yeah. he's, he's doing his noise and pointing at her and she's going crazy from it. <laughs> and then there's those trees. It's well, neat. I love, I'm sure, I, I've, I apologize if you talked about it right now. The fact that she didn't know that was going to happen. We hadn't talked about that, but yeah, I read that in the trivia that... Uh, the only yeah. people that knew what the ending of the movie was going to be were the, the director, Donald Sunderland, and I think maybe one of the producers. Um, so Veronica that, did not know that was that was going to happen in that scene. Well, what I love about it especially is 
living in the future uh, as I am in the year 2022. I also know that a year later she was going to make make another movie where it's going to have another classic scene where they also were not going to tell her because they wanted to see her freaked out reaction. True. And I just wonder if this was like a running gag in Hollywood where it's like, she oh, you get out of getting pranked. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> and for, for, if for some weird ass reason you're listening to this and don't know what we're talking about, that would be the dinner scene in Alien where they didn't <laughs> actually know scene, yeah. <laughs> what was going to happen uh, with the chest burster. And so, and then, and they sprayed the blood right in her face uh, to get a, <laughs> to get a legitimate reaction out of her. So, I just, it just makes me wonder. It's like, would like did Hitchcock, but just let her know that the didn't tell her that the birds were going to start attacking. I mean, who <laughs> was? Uh, uh, oh my god! No, that's why she looks. That's probably why she looks that way because she's, everywhere she goes in Hollywood, people are throwing things at her and jumping out. At her. <laughs> did you capture that one? Oh yeah. But I, I will say. Um, that 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 ending obviously is iconic. They always show it in you know scariest moments in movie history and things of that nature. I actually saw a meme of it on Facebook just about four days ago. So I mean, you know, it's still uh, iconic enough that they're making memes of it. Um, but just as a as a viewer and watching that scene, um, it's absolutely a amazing um, scene. And a perfect ending to a great film. Um, oh, absolutely! Sure. And 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 what works? And this is where you get a great filmmaker versus a shitty filmmaker. Is this is not like just simply Veronica Cartwright walking up at Donald Sutherland and he goes, uh, "It's not just that," and it's not just that they pranked Veronica Cartwright because again, everybody in Hollywood does that. Um, it's the fact that they set it up. Right, you got about sixty seconds of footage of Sutherland. It's kind of the next morning. We never see him taken over, obviously, um, but he's never interacting with anybody. He con- seems to be moving on the periphery of the events happening in the city. So you are led to believe. Well, he's doing what Veronica Cartwright told him to do right. before they saw the Benjo Dark. Right, but he's also not. Um. But like, there's no interaction, so he's he's moving emotionlessly. But you, so you have every reason to believe the fact that he's kind of keeping his distance that it's still him, and he is, of course, the hero of the story. And we also had it set up because we saw Jeff Goldblum disappear for a while, <laughs> and then, and not even that long, and then come back, and he was turned. So we don't really realize that when she's Veronica Cartwright again, that she might be. I mean, who expected Veronica Cartwright to be the survivor in this thing, right? Yeah. Um, well, well I'll tell you why. She was, the, she was the smartest. I did, because she was the smartest. She was the one that knew to hide their emotions. I mean, she kind of played an airhead oh, hippie chick. In that's the film, at the end of the film she says that. She had, but, I, but you go to the scene where there's the four of them in the, in the mud baths. And you're going to say, which is the one who's going to survive the, the, yeah. the, to the end of the film? I don't think you're going to pick her then. Because the yeah, actor is okay. I'll give you that. Basie chick, right? So, um, yeah. She seemed like, oh, here's the best. Here's the good friends that are what we call cannon fodder. 
so that right. our heroes can survive. <laughs> um, and if you know, right? Well, that was kind of cool snatchers. because she she wasn't a star, right? So they're not expecting right. her to live, right? You're thinking it's going to be, yeah. So continue, Mike. Saying, and if you've seen the original, you might have expected Elizabeth to survive, uh, to, to die the way Mary's, uh, not Mary, Becky died in the original. Um, or you could also, if you want to say ahead of them, maybe you could expect in the gender switch it and have Donald Sutherland die while Elizabeth is, is holding him. You know, but you're not expecting the friend's girlfriend to be the one who makes it through to the end. So again, it's just it's smart the way the whole thing is set up, the way it's shot, and then of course the the pranking of Veronica Cartwright. Well, and it's also this has become I think more common over time, um, but it's not always been the case that Hollywood's been willing to put a dark ending on a movie. <laughs> um, a lot of people don't like dark endings on movies and, and Hollywood knows that. So they're always pushing for the happy ending, um, which is which is one of the reasons the director didn't even shoot. There was there was in the working script for this movie, a happy ending. Um, and he made the decision not to even put it on film uh, to even give the studio a chance to put it in the final edit. He was like, nope, this is the ending. It ends here. Somewhere, somewhere in the multiverse. The four of us are on a podcast talking about the unreleased director's cut alternate ending with Donald Sutherland screaming at Veronica Cartwright. And somewhere out there in that multiverse is a, right. uh, is, is a thing where that scene was shot and the studio put it in there. And you have like the Kevin McCarthy at the end of the first one running into the police station and they go, and he's like, oh, thank God, thank God. You know, they, they're going <laughs> to stop them in time um but you know that 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 was well, that you had to I, I, well to be honest though um the, the Kaufman I mean he played it smart like you said Eric especially since this was a remake so the material uh he didn't necessarily have control of it say other directors but you know whether it, it's you know uh, John Schlesinger uh, with with Midnight Cowboy, or or Scorsese with with Taxi Driver, uh, and and um, uh, Paul Schrader as well. And then you have Don Siegel who directed the original, but I'm not even talking about that. The film he directed in the 60s and 70s were like Dirty Harry and all these gritty dark, dark films. What's that? I, I, I'm trying to find the point you're making. My point is is that Hollywood was going dark oh, okay. at this point. So Hoffman, who was making a remake where he didn't have the power, say, as, as a Scorsese or a Schlesinger or Don Siegel of the 60s and 70s when, when he was doing Dirty Harry, Kaufman wanted to go that route, it seems, which is where films were, were going, the gritty, dark um, movies that created me, for that matter, because those are the type of films I love. The, uh, th- I think, I think, I think it, it didn't surprise me that he went dark, but 
for a major non-artsy-fartsy film, because again, it was a property that was a remake compared to Midnight Cowboy or Dirty Harry or Taxi Driver and, 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 or even, you know, um, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The, he, he was a director of that period. So I think that's what he probably wanted to do anyway. Is all right. I'm trying to say, I guess. Right. But let's also let's also remember this is I don't know when they started making this movie or what started the making of the movie. I don't know if you you talked about that earlier, like what what was the impetus for, for filming this? But uh, about 18 months earlier, there was a little movie that came out called Star Wars. That chain and, and two years before that, you had Jaws. The year before that, you had between Jaws and Star Wars, you had Rocky. But um where you were leaning more into taxi field driver. Good. No, no, Phil. That, <laughs> I knew no. that was coming. You were you were leading into you were leading into more feel good films, right? These exciting films, and certainly Star Wars. We know kickstarted everybody wanted to make their own science fiction film, and I don't know a lot of people went, "Hey, you know, Star Wars made a gajillion dollars. How about we have a nihilistic remake of a fifty science fiction film to cash in on it?" So I could very even if the, even if he had started filming this before Star Wars Wars was out, I could easily see the studio going, "Man, Star Wars is a really upbeat movie, and look at all the mo- money that made." Maybe we should not have a downer ending on this. Maybe we need an upbeat ending where he beats the Empire. You know, he, he, he gets a hold of a helicopter and Roundup and kills them all. You know, um. I could I could easily see that well, right because that's, that's because the, because that was changing and and what was the other uh, the year before was I think Smoking the Bandit was also a big film the in the, the previous year in seventy seven so I think that the, that by the time this gets released this is a holdover from the earlier years and it's sort of like got its foot in two places it's the darker ending that you, that may have been more typical of like the Exorcists or the Godfather or Taxi Driver, but it's also a science fiction film, right? Where you wouldn't have gotten that as much in that era. So, yeah, it's a weird thing. It's that weird transition. Like even Alien, Alien ended on a relatively happy note, despite the fact that everybody except for Sigourney Weaver and the cat died. Spoiler. That's true. Uh, well, maybe maybe it's because of the producer, uh, Robert Sandman, who. You know, it could be. Um, but, I, I, but I would. I, my point is, I would certainly. Un, I certainly would trust and understand his impulse to say, like, you know what? I am not filming that scene because I don't trust these fuckers one inch. I, I don't. I don't trust them. They're going to put a happy ending on it. Right. Right. Uh, the, the the my my film professor in college was friends with a a writer who wrote the movie. Uh, Dying Young with um, Julia Roberts. And, and like he knew, like as soon as he sold the rights to the film where Julia Roberts is dying and she has a a, a romance with somebody, I can't remember who. Anyway, as soon as like they sold it to Hollywood, you know, that they're going to change the ending and there was going to be a miracle cure at the end. And sure enough, there's a miracle cure at the end. And <laughs> it's just what the fuck Hollywood does. Hollywood likes it's right off into the sunset happy endings. The seventies, the early seventies were a blip. Right, on that and that's I think one reason why people like that era so much. 
is that they did things that were dangerous and took chances and were willing to do something that wasn't strictly crowd-pleasing. Right, the deer hunter and taxi driver and midnight <laughs> cowboy and Phil's getting Dirty Harry. Oh my god, those are the best films ever. That was a <laughs> oh, great Phil, Phil, Phil's pants are getting Phil's <laughs> pants get tighter with every movie he mentions. <laughs> Those were the days. Oh, those yeah. were the days. Those, those oh, were Lord phenomenal God. films. And and it's not that we yeah. don't have phenomenal films now, but very few of them are coming out of a studio system as A-list films. Right? They're not the big films that people want anymore. Mm-hmm. They're the they're the niche Oscar right, baby, right. the obvious Oscar baby films. The, the outlaw Josie Wales. Those are the films. Dude. That was the era. The greatest era ever. We're not getting him back. The Godfather. Yeah. Godfather, Godfather. The two. <clears throat> All right. So I guess I'm going to have to wrap up the show. Uh, <laughs> the Exorcist. <laughs> Phil's gone. I, I, and I, I'm perfectly fine with just wrapping it up while Phil's continues the, to name movies. The, the China <laughs> Syndrome. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I'll stop. I'll stop. Stop. I would almost love just since I feel him, have him say, you know, thank you for listening to Dark Discussions. We'll tune you again next week. We'll talk about something else as you just continue to prattle off. <laughs> <laughs> that would work. After another completely oblivious to the fact that we've all tuned out and walked away and ended the episode. <laughs> ah, <right. sighs> so have we said everything we uh, want to say about the invasion of the body snatchers? I have a question. I didn't get a chance. I've been busy as, as fuck. Where was Jeff Goldblum in his career here? Uh, the beginning. Was this? What, I mean, yeah. I'm, was this like his first major thing, or had he I, done? I something? don't know for sure, but he looked he was real in Death young. Wish. Who? Who, he was who, who in are you Death talking? Wish. Who are you talking? Goldblum. 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 Oh yeah, this is the first. Are you talking? Are you talking yeah, about yeah, Goldblum? Yeah. Can you dig it? Goldblum. <laughs> Goldblum played a small part in Death Wish. He was one of the yep. the baddies. Yeah. Uh, but for for I guess getting him real notice, I don't know. I mean, he was in Nashville as a tricycle band. So he said, so yeah, all these roles are, are nothing. And Invasion of the Bar matches where he plays a Belichick, by the way, a Belichick. Um, that was. I think his first major role, right? And then yeah, this looks like all that, big up until uh, skyrocketed. Yeah, up until right before. What funny yeah, to me is after that, that then, then he went into big chill and you know yeah. and on and on. But what's that? Pennsylvania six five thousand. But what's funny to me is oh, that Annie Hall. Uh-huh. Yeah, is that he's like the anti. He's almost a, a non Jeff Goldblum character because he holy shit like. Sorry, Jeff Goldblum was on an episode of Laverne and Shirley. Really? Yeah. I got to track that down. I think Sorry. we all do. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think so. all right, ladies and gentlemen, your homework for tonight is go to Google. Sorry. That's G-O-O-G-L-E dot uh, com. Type right. in Laverne, we, we, Shirley, okay, we got the joke. Jeff Goldblum. All right, we got the, we got the joke, Mark. What, what were you uh, saying about Stop Goldblum. stepping on it. But Jeff Goldblum is actually playing here a guy. He's a writer. He's a poet. He's not like he's playing the... He would actually almost be playing, I think, maybe more of a the Leonard Nimoy role as the psychiatrist in uh uh in if if he was cast today, right? 
it's just because he becomes ends up becoming the nerdy brainy type as opposed to the artistic type so it was a, so weird but but he was also the contrarian which he also always plays so he kind of so it's just an interesting it was something different from him for him from what he eventually becomes a variation on a theme well i don't know about that mike because he plays a nervous kind of like eccentric like he doesn't yeah, that's what I said, variation on a theme bro because they hadn't pegged him as the yeah. as the scientist type yet i think that's right the, and yet the and yet is what pigeons holds him in that role forever he, right but 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 the performance is very similar to the right. eccentric characters of of those later films Oh, it's a it's a proto Goldberg. It's a variation on a theme. It's like they're they're circling it, yeah. but they didn't quite they didn't quite make him the thing they wanted. You know, they didn't they didn't. It's like oh, they cast him as the scientist. Yeah, I mean, even in Law and Order, you know, when he you know, plays in that one offshoot, he's his character is eccentrically weird. Yeah, yeah, and and there's this one chick. Well, let me rephrase. There's this one woman, a young woman at the time, uh, that I dated. And she said, "said uh, my mannerisms and stuff were were very Jeff Goldblum, and I can see that nervousness and and all that other eccentricities and so on and so forth." Oh, he's a bit Someone was telling me I'm a lot like God. Yeah, oh, I think I so, took it I as think, a compliment you know, because Jeff Goldblum's yeah, awesome. I think Phil, it's the way that you vomit on your donuts before you eat them. <laughs> 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 yeah, it's awesome. Oh, spoiler alert! Gross. Spoiler alert! Yeah, Jeff Golden is the best. Even my, you know, what's funny. I remember my mother when he, we were watching Lost World, uh, or the, the the one that he stars, the one uh, uh, the Jurassic Park that, or world that he stars in. Um, immediately when when the subway scene and it cuts to him in front of the 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 thing and he's With in the, the subway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mother immediately says. That's Jeff Goldblum play, playing that eccentric character that he always plays, you know, because he, she, she, he, even my mother just knew that, you know, Jeff Goldblum, this is the Jeff Goldblum that we all know. Must you know? go faster. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. That type of stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Finds a way away. Finds a way. <laughs> he has a uh, a certain um um mannerism of speaking um that that that's very uh, uh characteristic. Yes. yes. He's like a like a Christopher Walken. Those, those two guys, Goldblum and Walken, those guys were awesome. I, I love well, them. I always Jeff was bummed Goldblum that neither ever became Goldblum is at least believable as a human being. Christopher Walken is like it, 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 it's it, it's like an alien trying to pretend to be human. It's like that's not even an accent. Well, <laughs> you know, it's like it's like well, it's not some country you visit and you know, everyone talking like Christopher Walken. You know, just not or you or William Shatner or you recognize it's a hamminess. You know, and it's a like the these these pauses and it's a, for dramatic effect and it's a ham. Christopher Walken is uh, just and like for anybody who's fond stroke. of Christopher Walken. Next poll that comes up, vote for the Dead Zone, and you'll get to hear yeah. him cite Edgar Allan Poe. Yes, <laughs> that's right. That's right. No, please vote for the Fly so that uh, Mike can get that one watched. 
Well, we did do a Jeff yeah, Goldblum Gold remake already, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So that that filled that. And this is another one that's been on my list. I'm more than happy to let other people steal something else. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what was it to do? Was, yeah, to do the Dead true, Zone true. or or uh, uh, I'm trying. I can't remember what Fast else. Uh, yeah, Fast Forever got Kill Kill. Alligator was on there. There were a lot of films I would have liked to do. Pretty much everything. Good list. For Phil's picks. Yeah, they, they were good. Those were. That, that was a twelve. What's that, Eric? Nothing. No, no, no. All the twelve of those films. Were, I just took a I, shot at you. That's all. All the twelve of those. I know you did. But all those, all twelve of those films were pretty good. Damn, damn good. I would have been happy with any of them. I was, believe it or not, though, I was hoping Curse of the Demon would pull it off. That would have been awesome. That that movie's so good. I was good. surprised how strong that one was. I mean, this movie's was. great. I was surprised how strong that one was, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was going to tie. It almost did, too. Yeah. What that happens in awesome. the event of a tie? That's a cool film. We do Mike both. learns his lesson. We've done we end of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> It's no, like, that we implode. We implode. It, it, remember, remember that whole thing about changing as you get older. In my younger days, I, I like to be the agent of chaos, and I was rooting for a tie, and we got a tie, and then it just it was like a major clusterfuck. Is trying to like schedule it and get everybody to watch it, and careful yeah, what you yeah. wish for. And I and I vowed, I vowed that yeah. God is my witness, never again. You know, I would I would take my vote away if there was a tie, assuming I voted for one of the winners. <laughs> ah, interesting. Okay. Right. 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 Well, well, and to be honest, though, I would have been satisfied with all the all the films, so it wouldn't have, I wouldn't have bothered be upset about a tie, to be honest. Yeah. But but this was a good one. This is this is a real good one. Um, it's such a good anybody film. Else it's an effective effective film. It's a yeah. smart film. Oh, it's a great film, yeah. Dude, the the ending alone was awesome. The the banjo doc, the the the, the whole mud spa scene was, was like freaked you out. The 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 garden and the, it, when he uses the the hoe. I mean, following our Art Hindell's character, sex worker, the, Phil. He's just uh, a sex worker. Uh, what's that? He'd like to be called sex workers now. The hose. Who? The hose. Oh, oh, for crying out loud! You know what I meant. Uh, and then Art uh, Hindell when they're falling. Oh, and and then the garbage truck, and, and you know. Uh, oh, oh, that's it. Like about. the garbage trucks throughout the whole thing, right? Yeah. Like she sees him leaving, uh, like the first morning where it feels weird, right? Where she notices him, and we we just met the guy. We don't know the guy, and he's leaving, and. Yeah, if you know the, sh- the the movie, you see he's walking out of the, the original. He's walking out of motion. But he walks over to the garbage guys. And you just you constantly see these garbage men operating all hours of the day or night. In the 1970s, that doesn't happen in San Francisco or any major city. <laughs> they're, they're about every other day they were on strike. Um, but they're cleaning up the garbage. And who was the garbage? The garbage was the people. You know, the people. The, the garbage was soil and green. Um, so, yeah. True. That is true. Oh, yeah, and so all those little things. Um, yeah, like I said it's a really, really smart, well done, well made film. The only thing I would wouldn't say is that it's not a fun film, right? It's not an Evil Dead, 
it's not a it's not a fun film, but it is a it is a good creepy horror film. Um, and by the way, the, the, well, the, the man with the, for, for me, you're not having a rollicking. I don't think you're either. having a rollicking good time. This is not like the you know this is not an adventurey kind of action y Well, you know, for Phil Perry, the 1970s 1970s dark type films. Those those were fun. For normal, because you're a sociopath. Yes. <laughs> um, and I think mean, the closest Maybe. you get to that, Billy, is the banjo doll, right? Where you're just going like, "What yeah, the fuck yeah. did I just see?" And I was watch as I was watching it again last night, and again I've seen this movie. I can't, you know, a, a number of times. I can't tell you how many times. And you know, but it's been uh, a while. It's been a homeless person. Check his homeless person. I check uh Jerry Garcia uh, performance. <laughs> um, is that yeah. is is the dog He's from San Francisco? Like, is the dog licks its face with the with the with the the human mask on, and I thought like how did they get the dog to do that? And that apparently was completely unplanned. The dog just somehow managed to get the tongue through the face, the the mouth slit all on its own. Nice. I just and I and I just thought, what a good boy! Oh, what a such a good boy he did that. I mean, there's there is a great example of well, and, you know it's. Well, and, and that that was that's great because they didn't use a, a green face, you know. It, it was like you said, a mask, and, and it looked awesome. And it's like, oh, because the thing that made it awesome was because even if it was a mask, the mask made the face look more creepy. Yes. So, it, you know, so it made it even cooler, you know. And it is also a thing. You can point to on almost everything in this film, and there's some sort of a parallel to the original film, right? This is the broad strokes. This is the retelling of the original film until the very end. Uh, uh, and then, you know, down to them being, like, locked up in the, the room. And and then there's a banjo dog. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you have this great score running through the film. And then they're just going to go, okay, we're going to completely change the mood for a moment, but bing, 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 you know, like, as this dog with a human face comes running at you, and you're, and it's just, what the fuck am I seeing? No, you, no, you didn't expect that, unless you've seen the movie before, or had it spoiled by people like us. You know, there's no precedent for it, like, from there's no parallel in the original movie to that. So, yeah, that was just a creepy-ass moment. Sure was. The whole film was creepy. It was awesome. That's not my wife. That's not my wife. Oh, it's a caper. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty gross, too. It's a caper. Oh, here's, no, well, it's I mean, really. It's a caper. I don't care how convinced I am that that's a caper. Once somebody has introduced the concept... To me, that it's a rat turd. I'm like, I, okay, I, I don't think it's a rat turd. Well, yeah, but but Sutherland's character gets it. Sutherland's character gets me. He goes, if, if it's a caper, eat it, please. <laughs> and he wouldn't do it. Well, because yeah, well, once you introduce the poss- no, but once you introduce the possibility that it's a rat turd, uh, it's like I would be really hesitant to do it too. Yep. I, by the way, can I point out? I did. I, I don't know if you mentioned it before I got on. Is that the sound design is by Ben Burt, who's the guy who did the sound for Star Wars? I did bring yes, that up. Eric did. Okay, did you? All right, yeah, because I thought the sound design was great, and then I just went, so, oh, wow, cool. All right, nice. 
Yeah, that guy's got a hell of an IMDb yep. page. Yeah, Eric, you were the one that said that. He was the one that made the lasers in the desert. I believe so. Yeah, I think it was you that said. Yeah. Yes. Yep. That's how we made the sound. He. One last thing I wanted to mention at the moment where they're being confronted by Leonard Nimoy and it's uh, Matthew and Elizabeth and Elizabeth turns to Matthew and says I love you Matthew and Matthew says I will fight you David it was like just oh my god she just he just blew her off <laughs> <laughs> It's like she just confessed her love for you, dude, and you're like, eh, whatever, bitch. Just like you're just there, you're just focused on Nimoy. Oh, I just thought that was cold. There was me. Yep. Very good. Uh, anything else? Anybody want to bring up anything? Uh, no. Nope. All right. So I guess we can start wrapping up. Uh, again, this is the 550th episode of the podcast. Eric, you can blow the thing again if you like. I was expecting it this time. And and uh, if China doesn't kill us all, hopefully we'll be here oh at God. 600th. Shut the fuck up. I'm trying. Uh, I'm trying to think of the things I've done I'm 550 hoping. times, and I don't know that I can come up with a very long list. Eat, yeah. jerk off. <laughs> I would probably flip those, but yeah, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the eating had like a 14-year head start, but... <laughs> but you quickly got stuck. <laughs> yeah, you, you can do the other 10 times a day, Mike. Eating, you usually only do it three. Uh, uh, anyway. We, we've got <laughs> reels now. All right. So uh, let's uh, get into our final thoughts on this film. But before we do, Eric, you actually do another podcast with your buddy Dan. I do. It's a general interest podcast called the Scancity Podcast. That's spelled S-K-A-N-C-I-T-Y. You can find it wherever you got this one. Excellent. Even though uh, this week will we'll, uh, be postponed because of uh, your uh, wisdom tooth. Yes. 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 Hopefully that was okay to say that because sometimes you're a private person. Like, what the hell are you doing? Yes. Um, and uh, uh, definitely more private than Mike. About about 14 years, he, he had a head start. <laughs> but, anyway. Uh, um, and uh, Mike, me, you, Barrett, and Sean Fox uh, do a podcast about an HBO Max show. Yeah, that's... Um... A Decimation of Dragons, a House of the Dragon podcast, which we record usually the Monday or Tuesday after the episode, depending on how our schedules work out. Um, spoiler warning, we were, we were very much enjoying the show. However, Phil hates everyone. I think he's just referring to the characters. Indeed. Um, but I'm, I'm loving yeah, the show. I think, it's, I think it's got a great cast. I think it's, I think it does a really good job fleshing out these characters who are both, who you can, who can, even when they're doing bad things, you can kind of understand most of their motivations and why. Um, and I'm really digging the show and I hope you, uh, you, you tune in and either tune into the show or tune into the podcast or both. Indeed. Indeed. 
And uh, hold on, see, let's see here. Uh, what else do we got? Oh yes, uh, She-Hulk, uh, She-Hulk, Avenger of the Law, a podcast uh, where we, me, Mike Barrett, Sean Fox, and Kevin Letts talk weekly about the Disney Plus Marvel television series uh, as well. Uh, so uh, that's another podcast you can follow. Uh, also, uh, Eric, uh, me, you, and Mike. We'll be doing a new, another podcast uh, once those t- two TV show podcasts are over. What, what's that podcast that we usually do? Will we? Will we actually? Yes, yes we do. Yes. Are you just going to start yes, another TV podcast? Because that seems to be a pattern. Uh, <laughs> maybe maybe Phil will want to do Werewolf by Night. The other the other podcast we, we do sometimes uh, by yearly, I guess, uh, is... One where we talk about movies that don't necessarily fit under the Dark Discussions umbrella. Uh, Mike, Phil, and I take turns picking movies and discussing them. Uh, we've done everything for from animated Pixar films uh, to westerns to uh, thrillers to dramas. Uh, so if you want to hear us discuss movies that aren't necessarily Dark Discussions material, that's where you can find it. It's called Cinema a la Carte. Indeed. Indeed. And Barrett, myself, and you, along with uh, uh, a group of other uh, random uh, or uh, guest podcasters, join us for uh, another podcast that we do, which we're going to try to pick up uh, shortly, even though, uh, again, that's similar to Cinema a la Carte, that we're, we pick it up after the television series podcast are over. What is that podcast? Uh, Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. Um we actually recently did an interview with some directors of a new movie that we are going to review, and those will both come out at the same time. And we are looking towards doing the new release of The Monsters as well. And also, also, uh, don't fuck in the woods, too. Ah, yes. We, we have that screener as well. Yep. So we'll, we'll uh, try to get get those uh, films out soon, uh, as as time permits. Um, we do have, like we said, the the directors of uh, one film uh, recorded, uh, and and to have that out shortly as well. And then we also have some backlog episodes of both Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews and Cinema a la Carte uh, that will be uh, coming out as well. Um, all right, so I guess we can get into our final thoughts on uh, the 1978. Invasion of the Body Snatches. So let's start with you, Mike, since uh, this was your pick on the poll. So again, I apologize. Work kept me later than I, I anticipated. Uh, but yeah, I love this movie. Uh, I love the, the general genre. Um, and I, I, I especially love this film and the original almost equally. Um, the 90s film is okay. The, the after one after that, not so great. But yeah, this is it's, it's, it's just a solid film with some of my favorite actors ever. It is creepy. It is smart. Uh, it is well made um, and, and effectively directed, right? So you, you can't do this without get a, a film like this without having a good director at the helm. Um, and I just highly recommend it. And I think it, I, I think it ages very, very, very well, very well. All right, sounds good, uh, Eric. Yeah, this is a science fiction classic. Uh, like I said, I. I <laughs> This may have inadvertently be a first time watch for me. Um, but yeah, it's 
it holds up phenomenally well, uh, given the amount of time that's gone by since it was made. Um, definitely worth checking out if you haven't seen it, and definitely worth another watch if you have seen it. So yeah, I like this movie. Very good. Uh, myself, uh, yeah, this film is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, it's it's a classic, as Eric mentioned. Um, holds up excellently. Uh, a totally awesome film that everybody should see if they have not seen it yet. And uh, definitely check it out. Uh, absolute classic. Uh, Barrett? Yes, I love this film. Everyone should see it. It's great for uh, paranoia film, great horror. Um, everything everybody else said is awesome and applicable. Uh, definitely see it. All right, sounds good. So, uh, once again, uh, the film is our 550th pick uh, for the podcast. Uh, it is uh, a film that was directed by Philip Kaufman, screenplay by W.D. Richter, uh, based off the novel The Body Snatches by Jack Finney, produced by Robert Sotolo, uh starring Donald Sutherland, Brooke Adam, Leonard Nimoy, Jeff Goldblum, Veronica Cartwright, Art Hindell, uh, cinematography, Michael Chapman, uh, music by Denny Zeitlin, and uh, Mr. Bird uh, did the uh, sound effects. Uh, the film can be found anywhere. It's got excellent reviews everywhere, both by critics and audiences alike. Uh, so uh, thank you for joining us to hear our 550th episode. Happy birthday to Pam, one of our listeners. Today is September 29th. And with all that stated, Eric, can you lead us out? All right. Thanks for tuning in to episode 550 to listen to us talk about Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Come back next week. We'll have another topic. <laughs>